For Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, I'm Nick Hennon, and this is SciVibe. Sam Johnson. Technically, it's Samantha Joe, but I usually go by Sam just to <laughs> simplify. Sure. Uh, <laughs> thanks, parents. Uh, <laughs> I actually like it. Then I'm a computational scientist in the Physical and Computational Sciences Directorate, PCSD. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Science, technology, scientific discovery. This is SciVibe. The story today is is all about you, and I, I feel like I kind of have free reign here, so watch out. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about Miss Sheedy. Was it Mary? Yeah. And how did meeting her affect your life? Mary Sheedy was my counselor, and uh, she played a pretty big role in my journey to becoming a chemist because she held my feet to the fire. I, initially, I wanted to study poli-sci or journalism or, or something. Of that I saw nature. that. Yeah. So that was sort of a, that was the way I was going. And I was going to take biology just to get my science credits out. Uh, and then she sort of held my feet to the fire and said, no, I think you really need to take chemistry. Uh, it'll look better for your transcripts as you're going into college. And I was super nervous because my chemistry teacher, Mr. Fennell, was actually a former DOE employee himself. He had worked at NREL, the National Renewable Energy Lab, and he was very large and intimidating, incredibly smart, had actually tried out for the Olympic bobsled team. So I think that gives you a feel <laughs> for how intimidating he was. Yeah. Uh, and so just in general, I didn't think of myself as a scientist in any way. Oh, wow. But she really pushed me to do it, which actually ended up changing my entire path. That's so amazing. Those kinds of stories give me goosebumps, you know, because they have such purpose in our lives. And on and, and graduation day, she comes up to you. She said, said ah, you're not going to quit until you have a PhD. And I just thought... I, I knew I was going to college, so that was actually a big deal. I was the first in my family to graduate from college, so that was a huge deal. PhDs, I didn't even know really what that even meant. <laughs> <laughs> but she had faith in you, and, and she knew the direction you were going. She did. Yeah. She, well, she could see something in you that she knew was right for this. Oh, I, I think she saw that I had potential. So I think a lot of people have it in them. Just comes down to what your interests are and what sure. things sort of fall. And you're very humble, being a legacy student. I, I was too. I was the first in my family to graduate, and it's it, it's an honor, but it's also kind of a weird feeling, isn't it? You're sort of straddling two worlds. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was going to graduate school, I had been dating the man who later became my husband. And my great aunt came up to me and said, "I hear you're going to more school," and she says. Well, you got a, a degree and you got a man. What else do you need? Oh, boy. Well, uh, more school. Right. Yeah. You know, it's the, the kind of thinking that you really need to break through and past and beyond. And good for you for going and doing what you did, you know, in your gut you felt was right. Yeah. Can we go back any further? Is there any moments, say, in your young childhood? What is, like, your earliest memory of an interest in science? Digging up my mom's yard. Mm, that's <laughs> cool. Trying to find dinosaur bones. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to be a paleontologist when I was really young. Mm. Uh, just because I was obsessed with dinosaurs. I would check out the dinosaur dictionary every week. I was obsessed with weather. I loved reading so let's fast forward through, you know, school and you graduated from Caltech, correct? 
That is, got my PhD, so moved from Colorado to Pasadena and then finished graduate school. And and, uh, at the time, I think I was really burnt out, which I think actually happens to a lot of graduate students. Mm -hmm. And I (laughs) I sort of joked about going and, you know, starting a taco truck. (laughs) It's called Stoplight Tots. So you could get uh, the red light, green light, or yellow light. And the red and the green were red and green chili. And then the yellow light was chana masala on tots or chana tatsala. (laughs) I like it. I do too. So I I was pretty burnt out and I had a mentor as part of an NSF fellowship. I'd actually worked in Sweden uh, in a little bit in 2014. A mentor there, Petter Persson, I had talked to him about it and he said, I think you just burn out. I don't think that you hate science. I think that you're just tired. I, you know, of course, was like, no, 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 I I hate science. I'm going to get a taco truck. He was like, well, (laughs) maybe you should just do a postdoc uh, and just see because it's not that this is entirely true, but it's harder to come in and out of these things. Just try it again and see if if that's what you hate. And I was really grumpy about it, but (laughs) I was like, fine, I'll do it. And so (laughs) I had a good friend who had actually done her postdoc up here. And so I had some connections to the group that I ended up postdocing in. I followed their research to graduate school and I had met a couple of them at conferences and sort of out of the blue, this position opened up and I just cold applied. So that's how you got to PNNL. Yep. That's how PNNL was sort of a taco truck. PNNL. Who knows? Maybe the taco truck is back in the future. That's awesome. Well, maybe it could be a hobby, you know? One of these days. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be in line for food at the taco truck. I'll have some of that yellow. Yeah, that, that's the best one. <laughs> Petter was right. He was absolutely right that I was just burnt out. Yeah. You know, and sometimes we need that. We go through life and you're 100 miles an hour sometimes, you know, and you go for so long, so hard, so fast, and you stop for a second and think, you know, I need to relax, uh, take some time for myself. And boy, that re-entry is always kind of magical, isn't it? Yeah. It's as if you experience your work again in a way that you can really feel passionate about it. That is that is actually really what happens. So just the change in scenery, the change in location, the change in topic really reinvigorated the kind of work I was doing. And I went from being kind of burnt out to just really passionate about the first project that I took as a postdoc. It actually happened when I went to Sweden too, and always incredibly thankful for Petter and him hosting me that, Mm. you know, that, that also helped then. That's really how I got through. It's so nice. You're so nice. So what are you working on now? So I have a couple of projects. So I'm a computational chemist, which is maybe different than what most people think of when they think of chemistry. Mm-hmm. They think of maybe beakers or fume hoods or, or stuff like that. Yeah. All of the work that I do is on the computer. Okay. And so it's exciting because you actually kind of work in a lot of different fields or adjacent fields and you're not really limited. So I have a project on catalysis. So we're looking at ways to store and harvest energy Mm. and building the molecules that could do that. And then the other project I work on is actually in mass spectrometry, which is an analytical technique for characterization or identification. And that might seem sort of like a shift, but again, I think this is one of those projects that really has reinvigorated my love for science just because it was a nice uh, sort of change of, of scenery per se. So we're, we're interested in how the interactions between molecules actually change the patterns that you get out of mass spectrometry. That's so great. What big societal challenges are you addressing? That's a good question. Definitely a lot of my work focuses on energy sciences. And so how are we going to store renewable energy resources 
How are we going to store intermittent sources? Things like wind and solar termed as intermittent sources. And so this means that they're not on all the time. You know, the sun goes down and thank goodness the wind stops occasionally in the Tri-Cities. And so we want to be able to store those energies when they're occurring. That's one of the big societal problems. You know, you can do that in batteries, you can do that in liquid fuels, and that's really what we focus on. So a lot of the American infrastructure is, you know, especially for things like transportation, relies on liquid fuels. So mm-hmm. gasoline is a liquid. Yeah. That's probably the biggest problem I'm working on. How did you and the team become interested in solving the problem? I mean, does does your research or project, you know, advance a lab or directorate objective? Oh, certainly, certainly. So the project that I came in on, it was an Energy Frontiers Research Center, or EFRC, which is a big consortium. Mm. And so this is a big project that's funded and put together by the DOE. And so we actually work not just with the lab, but with several universities. We work with University of Washington, Yale, Wisconsin, Purdue, MIT, and we all sort of work towards this DOE goal of renewable energy and energy security. One of the other big projects I work on is funded out of the fuel cell office, but it's similar in that we're looking for ways to store hydrogen, better ways to transport hydrogen, which is a big challenge for wide-scale deployment of hydrogen. That's definitely one of these energy security and energy need fields. Why is this research important? If we, I mean, if we ever really want to move away from fossil fuels, then finding better ways to store these intermittent sources or to use them for other processes. I mean, that's one of the cool things about computation and this and the field of catalysis in general is that you're not necessarily limited to just storing energy so that you can burn it later and drive your car. We could use these sort of same inputs to maybe make better plastics or to break down plastics. We can Mm. use these same things to make other materials like building materials. So there's a broad variety of problems that we could solve with respect to finding ways to limit our use of fossil fuels. People often think of fossil fuels as just the inputs for your car or for your airplane, but it does provide the feedstocks for a lot of your plastics, so your packaging. A lot of those come from the fossil fuel industry, so we can try to use these renewable resources to replace those inputs. What has surprised you about your research? Honestly, I think the biggest surprise that I've had is, you know, when I worked in catalysis for so long, and I thought that was what I really liked. And then when this mass spec project came along, I wasn't sure I really wanted to work on it, (laughs) but it's turned out to be one of the most interesting projects I've had in a long time. And I've just learned so much. So I think, you know, I, I shouldn't be surprised in some sense. When you take a chance to learn from another field, it can seem sort of daunting and it can seem scary Mm. and seem like you can't possibly make up ground and move into it. But it's just so exciting that it gets you fired up. You just can't help but just immerse yourself. It's like learning a new language, but it, it sounds like you were good at it. And so then, of course, it's a bit of a thrill. I don't know how I'm not the best, but <laughs> it certainly <laughs> is a thrill. What what challenges did you face and, and how have you overcome them? So there were some techniques I actually wasn't very good at, sort of needed a little bit of help. But I think this is the key. A lot of people think that science is just sort of toiling by yourself. Again, the dark lab, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But so much of science is conversational and is interpersonal. And so the way I've 
managed to fix some of the deficiencies I had was really just to talk to people and say, hey, I'm not very good at this. You've worked in this field forever. Can you just give me a primer or do you have a suggestion for where I should start? Can we have a conversation about this later so I can make sure my thinking's right? And, you know, people are so nice, especially at the National Lab. I I feel like the group I work with is just so collaborative. They're always happy to, you know, hey, yeah, let's bounce some ideas off. Let's hang out. Let's, you know, during non-COVID times, let's grab a drink and we'll talk about it. That's honestly how I've gotten over a lot of the sort of speed bumps as I've gone along. That's wonderful. The collaboration is one thing that I never really anticipated working here was as great as it is. And it's not as if we're without any kind of competitive feelings, but they're really secondary, aren't they? It's let's work together and get this done. Yeah, my team lead, Boyana, and I sort of joke about kumbaya science. (laughs) It's definitely like a campfire, and we're all very happy. (laughs) Right. My best projects and my most interesting projects have often begun with a conversation, and and often a very informal conversation. You know, one of my favorite projects was actually started at a backyard barbecue. Wow. Uh, (laughs) You know, a lot of these conversations just sort of happen over coffee. That's how it happens, you know. That's great. So we have this new $90 million energy sciences research building in in North Richland, and it's 140,000 square foot research and collaboration facility at PNNL, and and you're a part of it. How do you envision this new ESC center accelerating your research? I just talked about how important collaboration is. I think that that is just so important. And and the ESC is really going to, I think, help with that. So a lot of the theorists are in one building and a lot of my experimental counterparts are in another building. You know, the only time I see them is if we make a meeting, if I am walking to another person's meeting, or (laughs) if I just sort of specifically make time to meet. And I think that putting us all in the same place where you can just have those chance interactions that's honestly, I think, going to help quite a bit. I think maybe the whole COVID thing has really driven home how important those little, you know, just popping in somebody's door, hey, you have a moment, let's chat, uh, interactions are. We miss them so much. I think that there's also something to be said about immersion. Since I'm working with people often who are in a different field, or they, they are experimentalists or, and I'm a computationalist, it helps for me to be immersed in their language and them to be immersed in my language. And that physical proximity will just sort of help with that, you know, just like if you're in a foreign country and you're hearing a foreign language in every interaction, you know, just going to the grocery store. It's sort of the same in the ESC building. All of a sudden, all of these conversations, all of these little side things you might hear you're fully immersed in everybody's science, which is just hopefully going to help with the collaboration so much. And it's been my experience that it does. What's your inspiration to keep doing what you're doing? It sort of morphed over the years. When I was younger, I really wanted to help people. Well, that was actually part of the reason I made this switch from, you know, something like poli-sci or journalism to chemistry. I grew up in a rural place And I wanted to bring, you know, at the time it was corn ethanol, which obviously is not the thing now, but um, I really wanted to bring like energy technologies to the small town where I grew up. As I've gotten older, I I still have that passion to help people. And that's honestly a big reason to stay in the energy sciences. But I find myself even more and more being just driven by curiosity, Mm -hmm. which I think I didn't really... I mean, when I was younger, I was definitely a student, right? It was like, 
learn so you can pass exams and do this so you can go to grad school. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I've just been more inspired by pure scientific curiosity. I think that's also been encouraged by some of the people I work with. They're possibly the most scientifically curious people I know and have ever maybe met. And so just seeing how just buzzed they get about, you know, a blip in data <laughs> is, is really inspiring. So I, I would say that both the, the desire to help people, but then just genuine scientific curiosity that maybe I didn't have when I was a student, just trying to, you know, get through everything. Do you ever think about the world in general in terms of our earth and the environment and the fragility of uh, how things are and how you want to change the world? Yeah. I'm not the most outdoorsy. I'll admit it. I'm a terrible Coloradan, Uh, (laughs) not a skier or anything, but I am a road cyclist and I love just getting out sort of into open country and just hearing the birds and smelling Mm. the the, the grass that, you know, especially in the spring, my gosh, it always reminds me of out where I grew up and just sort of the, the prairie and all that. And so, um, the desire to keep those areas pristine and clean and not have them filled with plastic trash or waste really does push some of the chemistry that I do, right? Yeah. That, you know, just being able to keep those locations beautiful is important to me. What do you like to do when you're not at the lab? I cycle, so I love doing that, especially if I can go with a buddy. Okay. (laughs) My friend Deb and I... (laughs) to do these big rides together and just sort of talk and enjoy and take it all in. I also play Ultimate Frisbee. Fun. I started playing when I moved up here. I try to recruit everybody who comes to the lab (laughs) to the team. I'm now our outreach coordinator. (laughs) That's great. And are there any places that you and your husband like to travel? Wisconsin. (laughs) So his family's from Wisconsin (laughs) and they've got a cabin on a lake. And I have to say that that's my happy place. (laughs) Yeah, it's like paradise. Oh, it is. It's on a lake. There's all these trees. You can swim in the lake. I love swimming. And so you just spend the whole week hanging out with the cousins, boating, kayaking, canoeing. I love it. And Wisconsin cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Eating every sketchy sausage and cheese curry you get your hands on. <laughs> Next time you go, maybe I'll put in an order for some cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you so much for making time for us. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to SciVibe. We're dedicated to sharing the excitement of discovery. If you had an aha moment while listening to SciVibe, please share and subscribe.